Welcome to No More Risk Better, a Credit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Credit Sites podcast. My name is Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy at Credit Sites. And today we are going to talk about a sector that a lot of people have a lot of questions about given this recent rise in rates, especially mortgage rates. We are going to talk all things home builders. And to help me with this conversation, I have Michael O'Brien. He is our analyst covering home builders. He's also historically covered metals. Michael, thank you so much for joining today. Hi, Winnie. Good to be here. Yeah, so my name is Michael O'Brien. I started my career here at Credit Sites covering metals and mining under Wen Lee after I graduated from the University of Scranton in 2019. And I continue to work with Wen covering metals and now the home builders as well. Awesome. So graduating from the University of Scranton, did you try to go for the, the paper and packaging coverage? You know, that is the, the thing that's brought up most commonly when I bring men to Scranton. It's always about the office. <laughs> but no, no, no paper coverage for me for now. I mean, it, it is an unfortunate reality that Scranton doesn't really have much of a reputation outside of the office, at least not that I'm aware of. No, not yet. <laughs> not yet. It's known for, not yet. It's known for coal and uh, coal in the office. That's about it. All right. Well, as much as I would like to talk about the office the entire time, unfortunately, we get to talk about home builders, which is, I think, an equally interesting topic right now. So can you give us just a quick overview of what in the home building space are we covering now? Yeah, so we launched coverage on the IG home builders just a few weeks ago. That includes the large national home builders like Lennar, DR Horton, Polte Group, and then some of the larger home builders with a regional exposure like NBR in the eastern United States, MBC with its folks on the west coast and mountain regions, and then MBC does also maintain some exposure on the east coast too. And then finally, we launched coverage on Toll Brothers. Toll Brothers operates nationally, but it's differentiated through its exclusive exposure to the luxury market. And that fact is particularly worth calling out in light of the ongoing affordability challenges and the relative insulation that Toll Brothers' wealthier buyer base provides, given that they're less sensitive to interest rates. And then going forward, we plan to expand our coverage to include the high-yield home builders early next year. The high-yield home builder coverage will initially include previously covered credits like KB Home, Taylor Morrison, Meritage, Beezer, TriPoint, Hovanian, and LGI Homes. And then I would just add that as of this morning, we have a new rising star entrant into the IG home building peer group. And that's Meritage. Meritage was upgraded from Stitch to triple B minus. And it's now a split rated credit at B single A one at Moody's and triple B minus at S&P. Excellent. Always love to hear of a rising star. Investors always like those. So home builders, not a particularly large share of the overall investment grade index, but investors have been worried about them, wondering about them as we've seen mortgage rates rise to highs that you know we haven't realized for decades. And there have been a lot of questions around affordability, which you just mentioned. It seems like there are a lot of people who still feel like 
being a bit cautious on the sector is probably the right play, even you know more than a decade after the great financial crisis, where a lot of these home builders were kind of ground zero for some of the volatility and challenges. How have home building fundamentals generally fared over the past 12 months as mortgage rates have increased? Yeah, so that's true. IG Home Builders is a short duration sector. There's only about $10 billion of index debt outstanding. That'll increase to about $11 billion with the inclusion of Meritage. But the home builders have also been increasingly paying down debt with cash rather than refinancing. And then again, as you mentioned, affordability risks do continue to loom large with mortgage rates sitting above 7.5% and with home prices sitting near record highs. So that combination of elevated mortgage rates and selling prices has driven affordability dynamics to the worst levels on record. But despite that challenging backdrop, home building fundamentals have actually fared pretty well over the past 12 months. After the initial spike in mortgage rates, after the Fed began its current tightening cycle, that did drive some weakness in the second half of 2022. And demand did decline across both new and existing homes. And the home builders saw cancellations spike during that time period. In response, the home builders began to pull some of the affordability levers that they have at their disposal. And so in the second half of the year, they pulled those levers that drove volumes incrementally higher. And that also coincided with a pretty meaningful recovery in demand late last year and through the first nine months of this year. And essentially that demand increase we attributed largely to buyers becoming increasingly sensitized to the elevated mortgage rate environment. So what are some of the factors that have supported the recent stronger performance and fundamentals despite borrowing costs and and mortgage rates rising to levels that we haven't seen in many decades. So currently the home builder solid operating backdrop is being meaningfully supported by the ongoing tightness on the existing home side of the market. Existing home sales this year are expected to be down about 15% in 2022 and about 30% relative to 2021. And that lack of supply has supported selling prices and it's increasingly funneling buyers into the new home market rather than the existing home market. Another Supporting factor has been incentives and specifically the home builder's ability to offer rate buy-downs for the life of the loan to buyers. By utilizing these rate buy-downs, the home builders can maintain an ability to offer prospective buyers rates that are one to 2% below the market, which pretty dramatically changes the economics for prospective buyers and increases the potential pool of buyers who would actually qualify for a mortgage while also better preserving margins relative to an outright price cut. And then I would also call out some of the longer term drivers that are contributing to the current setup. And that largely relates to the home builders chronic underbuilding for the decade following the financial crisis and then also demographic trends. So following the financial crisis, single family home sales didn't return back to prior long term average levels until 2019. And that's driven a several million unit shortfall over that period. And then I'd also call out demographics um, and specifically the peak home buying age population. That's the cohort age 35 to 44. That cohort is increasing in both absolute terms and as a proportion of the U.S. population, which should offer a modest tailwind through 2030. And then as we look out to 2024, the elevated mortgage rates are expected to keep the existing home market depressed to the benefit of the home builders and should allow them to hold on to much of the market share gains they saw this year. And at the same time, cycle times, or which the time to construct a home, have begun to compress from the elevated levels that we saw in the 2021-2022 timeframe as the supply chain issues that reared their head then have largely been resolved. So those compressing cycle times, the healthy demand levels, and the tight existing home market should support a mid to high single digit percent increase in home builders volumes in 2024. And along with those higher volumes, margins have also stabilized at historically elevated levels, which will likewise support earnings. 
We would, however, call out that while the margin outlook remains healthy for the home builders, rising mortgage rates could pose a modest margin headwind in the coming quarters as the builders increase their use of incentives to combat the 80 basis point or so increase in mortgage rates since the beginning of June. That's a big move. Since the beginning of June, 80 basis points, especially when things were already elevated. So you mentioned buy-downs and how they kind of help home buyers, you know, be able to afford some of these new homes. Can you walk us just through kind of the logistics of a, a buy-down and how they've helped support new home sales amid these higher mortgage rates? Yeah, and uh, you're right, 80 basis points. An increase in mortgage rates over just a few months is a pretty big move. And so for that reason, it's important to understand how buy-downs work. They're a meaningful driver of incremental sales, especially when affordability dynamics worsen like now or when demand worsens. Essentially, though, a rate buy-down is largely what it sounds like. It's a way for buyers to reduce their mortgage rate, either for the life of the loan or for a temporary period, like in the first one to three years of the loan. If you were actually to go out and buy a home now, you could purchase a buy-down yourself. But the key differences here are twofold. First, home builders are the ones bearing the cost of this buy-down, and those savings flow directly to the buyer by lowering their interest costs. And then secondly, the investment-grade home builders maintain their own mortgage origination operations, and they're generally willing to work with buyers to purchase enough points so that they would qualify for a loan. And just to backtrack for a moment, with respect to the home builders, when I say buying points, that refers to the amount of the loan principal that is contributing to the buy-down in percent. And so one point would be equal to 1% of the loan principal. And generally speaking, for each point or 1% of the loan principal bought, the mortgage rate could be reduced by a quarter percentage point. And just to put some numbers around it, I prepared an example. So if we assume that a home builder is offering to reduce rates by 1.5% or about six points, and let's say that's from about a 7.5% mortgage rate to a 6% mortgage rate, the builder would contribute 6% of the loan's principal up front. And then if we also assume that the home builder is selling that home for $450,000 and again, offering to buy down that, that rate by six points. And then for simplicity, we assume that the buyer plans to take out a mortgage that's at 100% loan to value. The builder will contribute 6% of the loan or about $27,000 in this case. And again, those points being bought are a direct margin hit for the builder, but it likewise reduces the prospective buyer's monthly cost. In this case, it will be about $450 a month or about $5,400 a year. And so that meaningfully augments the potential buyer pool for the home builders and for the buyers, it makes purchasing a home pretty meaningfully more attractive relative to purchasing a similar home in the existing home market. And then just as a final point, using those same assumptions as before, for a buyer to receive the same interest cost benefits at a 7.5% mortgage rate on that home, the builder would have had to reduce the selling price by nearly $65,000 which means that the home builder would actually be preserving almost $40,000 in margin relative to an outright price cut by utilizing that buy-down. And so while the example is a bit generous, considering that we're assuming 100% loan to value, it should be pretty clear that rate buy-downs are the most powerful tool that the home builders have in their arsenal for reducing costs for buyers. And then I would also just call out a couple of other incentives that home builders generally use. Um, the most common one here would be the home builders waiving all or part of closing costs, and then some other incentives like offering enhancements or upgrades from the buyers, and that could range from things like free appliance upgrades or better flooring, or even improved landscaping. And they also could offer things like moving assistance or pay homeowners insurance fees. So generally, their incentives are pretty broad ranging, but the big one to call out is buy downs. And then just to summarize, so while incentives do 
reduce margins for the builders. In light of the current affordability dynamics, they allow the home builders to move incremental volumes, which is broadly a focus for the sector at the moment. So at this point in the cycle, the home builders are viewing their margins, which are currently sitting above the pre-COVID trend as essentially a shock observer. So if they need to buy down a prospective buyer's rate by an incremental point or two, they would opt to sell that incremental home at a lower margin rather than preserve margins by keeping it on the market. That is all fascinating. I had never really considered how the mechanics of a buy-down work. And also, I would like to say that landscaping is really expensive. So upgrades for landscaping feels like a, a big money saver. That would be very enticing for me if I were going to buy a new home. But I'm not because I'm one of those people with a sub 3% mortgage rate. So I'm never, ever moving, much to my husband's dismay. So... Let's talk a little bit about home builder balance sheets. You know, you mentioned that we have a new rising star. A number of the names that you initiated coverage on, I actually remember from my high yield days back in, you know, 2010 to, to 2014 is, is high yield credits. So it seems like there's been some pretty solid improvement in builder balance sheets over the past decade. Are there risks to builder balance sheets at this point? Is there more appetite for M&A? Where do balance sheets stand? Homebuilder balance sheets have improved pretty considerably across the board, and they are very solid right now. So that's following several years of peak cycle operating conditions, fairly benign capital allocation policies over that time, and a pivot to a lighter asset business model that favors land options relative to an outright land ownership. So as a result, IG homebuilders' gross debt to capital levels are currently sitting below 30%, which compares to a pre-crisis level of just under 45%. And then on a net debt to capital basis, the IG home builders currently sit at about 10%. And again, that compares to just under 40% of a net debt to capital level for pre-crisis period. So the home builders pivot back to a lighter asset business model through their increasing reliance on options is a key point to call out here. And that's contributing to the sector's stronger balance sheets as well. But just to step back to provide some context on land options, builders essentially have two routes to secure land that they expect to build communities on. The first is buying land outright and holding on their balance sheet. And the second is entering land options with land banks or other landowners. And so when they enter a land option, these builders pay an upfront fee, which is typically about 10% of the land's value. And they secure the right to purchase that land at a preset price in the future. By utilizing these land options, they can reduce builders' margins relative to an outright land purchase, but they pretty significantly increase builders' balance sheet flexibility. Given that in a downturn, the homeowners can simply walk away from the premium they paid rather than holding impaired land on their balance sheet. I would note that while the pivot back to utilizing land options is not unique, it is worth calling out because the homeowners have meaningfully increased their use of options over the recent years, pretty meaningfully. And that's off a low base. And so, while their owned land position has remained largely flat on an absolute basis over that time frame, the utilization as options has increased pretty meaningfully. And just as a final point as to how these options actually do provide the flexibility in the downturn, the home builders, of course, don't want to walk away from the premium they pay on those options. So when conditions weaken, they will generally slow their land purchases, which are a pretty considerable cash outlay for the builders. And then they'll typically work down their option land position more aggressively than their own land position. That allows the builders to maintain a healthy owned land position on their balance sheet for future development, while also limiting the amount of capital they could tie up in a liquid inventory and limiting the number of option contracts that they're walking away from. So overall, the homebuilders' balance sheets have strengthened pretty meaningfully in recent years. 
And the group is well prepared for a downturn given their lower debt metrics, elevated caps levels, and more flexible land positions. There's a lot going on there. The land positions is fascinating because if I'm recalling correctly during the financial crisis, land was a, a big issue for a lot of these builder balance sheets. And it's hard to kind of foresee a downturn in new homes, especially just given kind of the, the tight supply demand dynamics that we have right now. So with kind of a, a constructive view on home builders as a whole, where do you see value in the space? Are there credits that you think are pretty compelling? And are there others where you would you know, navigate with a bit more caution? So at current spreads and given our current constructive outlook on the sector, we see value in Lennar, Toll Brothers, and MDC. Lennar is the second largest home builder with a solid balance sheet, and we broadly view the credit as a direct comp versus its slightly larger and slightly higher rated peer, DR Horton. While we do think DR's reliance on spec building will be an incremental positive for the credit, um, just for context, DR Horton's spec activity is historically in the 70 to 80% range of sales, while in our spec exposure is generally in the 30 to 40% range of sales. We would prefer reaching for yield between the two credits at this point, and we would therefore prefer Lennar over DR Horton, given our positive view on the sector. And another credit we like is Toll Brothers. Toll Brothers is a low triple B home builder with a national presence. And a key point of differentiation, as I mentioned earlier, is its exclusive exposure to the luxury market where buyers are less sensitive to interest rates. For context, last quarter, 25% of Toll Brothers buyers purchased their homes with cash, which is up from a long-term average for the company in a 20% area. And it's well above a lower cost peer like DR Horton's buyers, whose cash buyers only make up in the low to mid single digit percent of their sales. And so that provides a pretty meaningful buffer against the ongoing affordability challenges. And the credit does trade wide to most of the peer group. So we like the name currently. And then I finally call out MDC as a split rated IG home builder, rated B single A1 at Moody's and triple B minus from XMP and Fitch that we like. The company primarily operates in the Western US, but it's also got a small amount of exposure in the Eastern US as well. And it trades the widest and it's the highest beta name of the IG home builders, given its lower margins, its increased land spending needs, which will suppress free cash flow relative to some IG peers. And it's fairly aggressive shift into spec building versus its historical focus on that is almost exclusively focused on the build to order model. But with all that said, we do continue to believe that spec sales will benefit from the tight existing home market, and we rank constructive on industry fundamentals, and we therefore don't expect MDC to be downgraded back into high yield territory. So against that backdrop, the credit does provide a solid spread pickup versus IG home building peers, and we like the name at current spreads. But in terms of credits to watch, we would also call out MDC as the primary credit to call out here. We do have an outperform the name, but we acknowledge that it is the most risky of the group, and we will be watching the credit more closely. As I mentioned, it's also split rated. So a downgrade from either S&P or Fitch would knock it back into high yield. But that said, MDC's pivot into spec should mature, which could drive spreads tighter. But then again, we would also just add that MDC does operate at a modestly lower margin than its IG peers. So it has a bit less margin cushion to absorb a more meaningful increase in buy downs. That's super helpful. I really like that crossover space as a whole from a, a broader market strategy perspective. I think that you get a really great mix of pretty strong fundamentals plus very attractive valuation. So MDC definitely fits within the broader strategy view as well on a long-term basis. So let's wrap it up with some risks. Everybody always wants to know about the risks. I think that that is especially true in a sector like uh, home building where there have definitely been risks in the past. 
what are some of the key risks that you are focused on? And are there any key data points that you like to follow? Yeah, so you're right. There are plenty of risks in the sector. And the overarching risk that we've talked about is the ongoing affordability challenges, but some other risks like the elevated risk of recession and the elevated units under construction are also worth watching. But with respect to the affordability issues, the reality is that the risks posed are a bit more nuanced than at first blush, and that largely relates to the depressed existing home market. As I mentioned earlier, homeowners who are currently holding on to their 3 to 4% mortgage rates, like you, Winnie, are understandably reluctant to give up their existing rates, even more so given the appreciation of home prices. And that's providing a key piece of support for the home builders by augmenting the total available home supply. As a result, the buyers that are not able to find the right home or at the right mortgage rate in the existing home market are increasingly being funneled into the new home market. At the same time, those same tight supply fundamentals have offered support to new home prices against the rise in mortgage rates. So as we look at 2024, the existing home market is expected to remain tight, but a loosening of supply fundamentals on that side of the market is certainly something to watch for. Another risk we'd call out is that the rising risk of homeowners insurance premiums in key markets, and we'd specifically call out Florida and California here. While we're yet to see a tangible demand impact to this point, they are two of the largest home markets for new homes, and insurance headwinds are something to watch over the next few years. Just for a bit of context, homeowners insurance costs have more than tripled over the last few years in Florida, and insurance providers are increasingly opting to leave the state. While California is seeing a similar problem, of homeownership insurance providers leaving the state. These rising costs have primarily been driven by rising hurricane risk in both states and also the wildfire risk in California. And then I would also call out the elevated level of multifamily units under construction, which currently sits at about a million units. Although the single and multifamily markets generally don't compete directly, the supply side of the equation could loosen incrementally as these units are completed. But we do also note that multifamily units do have a longer lead time than single family units. So those units will come to the market over the next several years. And then as a final risk facing the sector, I would just reiterate the ongoing affordability challenges and that they do pose very real risks to the sector and they could drive margin erosion if the builders are forced to either increase the amount of points being bought or an increasing portion of homes sold are utilizing buy downs. And then over the medium term, we do think it's likely that affordability dynamics will have to be augmented through some shift in a combination of mortgage rates, home prices, or overall demand levels. But then again, just as a counterpoint, I would just add that given that the existing home market is expected to remain tight, and we do have that structural underbuilding driver over the decade following the financial crisis, we could likewise see affordability challenges persist to the benefit of the home builders over the medium term. And you also asked about some of the data points we follow. And so home builder fundamentals, like our metals coverage, are primarily driven by supply and demand factors. It's also inherently a macro and consumer driven sector. So there are a lot of data points you could track. For the home builders, demand is driven by demographic factors like population size, consumer trends, and then macro factors like mortgage rates, home prices, and overall consumer health. On the supply side of the equation, the existing home market is the key driver. About 85 to 90% of homes take place in the existing home market. So that's a key driver of supply. And then we also track monthly new home data points as well. So some of those key data points for the new home market include things like permit starts, units under construction, completions, average prices. And then we'll also track mortgage rates, mortgage spreads, housing inventories, the demographic trends as I called out. And that's particularly relating to the 
peak home buying age population. And then we'll follow some survey data from the National Association of Home Builders. On the consumer side, we track things like the unemployment rate, the average length of unemployment, the monthly change in unemployment, and consumer balance sheet metrics to get a gauge of the health of the consumer. And then one other interesting topic I would call out here is that in light of the ongoing affordability challenges that face consumers and the cost challenges that we're facing the home builders, uh, it's the average size of new homes which we follow. And broadly speaking, the home builders have modestly shrunk their average square footage of the homes they sell. It's declined about 6% since 2020 and about 12% since the 2015 peak. And that's down from about 2,700 square feet down to about 2,400 square feet currently. That's fascinating. I had no idea about the kind of declining size of these new homes. Are, are new home complexes or um, kind of developments, are they just trying to jam in more homes on smaller land spaces? Is that what's driving that? Yeah, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. You can reduce the home cost to make the, the homes more affordable for buyers when you're selling them smaller. And then to your point, you can fit more units per area of land. So I think there's a couple of things driving it, but it is one of those kind of interesting things that might get easily overlooked, but it's also a, a, a driver on the margins for these builders. Well, that is so great. I am really happy for you in the relaunch of coverage of the home builders. I know clients will be very happy to see these reports back up and running again, especially as the sector is so topical. So congratulations. And thank you for joining me today. For anyone who has questions for me or Michael on home builders or market strategy as a whole, you can always reach out to us using the Ask an Analyst function on the creditsites.com website. Michael, thank you so much for joining today. Thanks, Winnie. It was great to be here. Thanks. Credit Sites Disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Credit Sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit Sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. It's not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is Credit Sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by Credit Sites or its affiliates.